Hey guys, it's Garrett. Uh, we got a kinda long one today. Uh, the music for today's episode is Tiny Footsteps in the Snow by BioUnit. And as always, our logo for the Billup Chronicles is by Crispy Art. You can find her on Instagram. There'll be links for both of those in the description. Let's get started. Alan, Alex, and Garrett. Greetings. Tis Billup. I am now writing to tell you the tale of my journeys from Washington north into the frozen lands. With a new warm jacket in hand, I began my trek. The first few days were slow going, but I eventually made myself some skis to help move over land at a better pace. On the fourth day, I was crossing a log across a narrow portion of the Squamish River to get to a large berry brush on the other side. I was planning to make my shelter for the day under its boughs and catch myself some more fish. I heard a flapping of wings and cracking sounds as of a tree shattering. I was so startled that I fell into the river and I rose out of the water. I looked to the sky and saw a swift-moving copper-colored bird flying in a zigzag pattern. It was probably twice the size of the condors I have heard you mention. With each beat of its wings, there was a crashing sound, and its entire body would shoot forward, but at a sharp angle. I was only able to observe it for a few seconds. With two beats of its wings, it dashed probably 50 yards, and with a single swipe, took a large crow out of the air. After its catch, it made a third crash with its wings and disappeared into the trees. That was the only glimpse I had of it. I remained in my chosen shelter for two days to keep warm and collect food, while waiting for my jacket to dry. In that time, I heard the bird one more time, but was unable to see it through the tree line. The remainder of my journey was filled with captivating beauty, but nothing that would be of direct interest to the listeners of this podcast. I saw snow-capped mountains, forest of evergreens, frozen rivers and slabs of ice that must be hundreds of tons, slide across the landscape into the ocean. There was... There were tracks of tundra that spanned as far as the eye could see, and would appear endless without the dark blue backdrop of the mountains along the distant horizon. I have seen bald eagles catch salmon from open streams, and the clouds of frozen breath from a bull elk as he called to his herd. Through all these beautiful lands I traveled until I reached the far-flung north slope of Alaska. As I sat on the banks of Lake Teshukpuk, pondering where I could find my elusive quarry, Kushtaka, I was approached by an old man with long black braids. In my journeys, my senses had grown very keen, but somehow, Inuksuk was able to sneak up on me. He grew up here and had traveled all across the Inuit lands, but had recently returned here, heeding the call of his totem animal, the frog. It had told him that at his home was a kindred who needed his aid. Inuksuk had spent many years searching the lands of his people for their many stories, and in each village he would tell the stories to his people, so that each tribe could be united in spirit. He told me that he already knew I was here to find the Kushtaka, and that indeed this was the place. I was told that the frog spirit could not tell him exactly where the Kushtaka were, but that if I was determined to hunt for them, this was the place. We ate, and he told me the legends of his people, being lured from their kayaks to dive into the water and join the otter people, 
For generations, they had lived here, in this very lake. But recently, the white man has begun to explore this lake and made plans to drill for oil here. So far, the drilling has not begun, but the Kushtaka must have felt it too public a place to remain and left for safer waters. It was a full moon, and we slept. I dreamt of myself relaxing on a river, leisurely drifting like a raft, like we used to back home on the Ohio. I was enjoying a warm summer breeze, and the wind spoke to me with the words of Old Nooksuk. I awoke, and it was still the middle of the night. I saw the silvery gleam of a sealskin coat disappear into the shadows. I remembered his words in my dream. The wind had said, Follow it to the Silver River, but do not seek breath where the winds smell of death. I heard the movement of water and turned over to see the lake. There was a large man with the face of an otter and a coat of the silkiest fur rising from his waist above the waterline. He had arms that descended almost to his knees and ended with wide paws and claws that seemed to be at least six inches long. His fangs were sharp and peaked ever so slightly over his lower lip. He held a paw to his mouth and beckoned me to follow before descending beneath the water. I dove in after him and was shocked by the cold. It was strange to me that this water would not be frozen like all the other rivers and lakes I had seen for hundreds of miles south of here. Why had I not asked Nooksuk about this? Just as I thought of this, I realized I was no longer as cold as I had been when I first dove in. The water seemed cool and crisp, like the waters of an early spring. Each time I rose for air, he was waiting for me, but dove before I could question him. He was a fast swimmer but not as fast as I was. With each dive, I would get closer and closer to catching up with him. After turning down a riverway, I rose for air. Immediately, my nostrils were filled with the odor of rotting meat. I panicked and saw that my Kushtaka guide was nowhere to be found. My adrenaline began to pulse through my heart, and I prepared to search for signs of him. When the winds brought the words of Anuksuk back to my memory... I must flee this place. I breathed as deeply as I could and nearly choked on the stifling stench as I dove into the water. I kicked and pulled with my arms as far as my panic could push me. When I finally arose, I looked back down the river. Under the light of the moon, it was like swimming through mercury. The river looked silver and shined with an unearthly glow. I heard a howl in the distance saw the shape of an antlered head floating above the river. It turned wildly in circles, and with a final flourish, dashed into the sky and disappeared into the clouds. Its body was shaggy and coated with fur that was as white as snow, except for dark stumps over the feet I could not see. I continued swimming down the river, for a distance that seemed impossible. I saw no sign of dawn, and felt afraid that I had truly lost the trail of my guide. I swam and swam and swam, until the whole world seemed to be as silver as a full moon. Then, all of a sudden, I arose, and instead of the unusual skyline to greet me, I was in a dark cavern. The walls of the cavern were granite, and the moonlight reflecting through the water caused the walls to sparkle, even in the dim light. I could not see how far the cavern extended further ahead of me, but there were banks of pebbles along both sides, 
and lounging on the pebbles, there were several Inuit people. I saw the Kushtaka. I saw the Kushtaka who guided me down the river, standing on the left, and while I swam towards him, watched as he transformed. Unlike the rest of the people around us, he was no Inuit. He was a broad-shouldered man of pale complexion, with wavy blonde hair, and a closely cut strawberry blonde beard. He grabbed a baggy ivory-colored shirt off the banks, and a pair of dark olive trousers to don. His name is Dennis Murphy, and the following is his story. In what seems like another life, he was an Irish sailor. He grew up in Donegal, but left it at a very young age, and has few memories of it. In fact, it probably shares almost no resemblance now to the town of his childhood. He was born in 1864, and at the age of 14, set sail as an ordinary seaman. In the year 1890, he was working as a cook aboard a newly built vessel named Constance. They were sailing on the northern coast of Alaska, exploring places to build new ports for shipping gold out with less overland travel. They were caught in a storm, and after an eventful night, Dennis found himself on a makeshift raft with two other sailors clinging for life. In the next couple hours, the freezing waters had claimed the lives of the other two. Dennis himself was ready to give up and succumb to hypothermia. Keeping moving had already failed anyways, and he was sure that most of his limbs would be lost anyways. He heard the voices of angels singing to him in what must be God's own unknown tongue. He slipped into the water, ready to meet his maker. As the water embraced him, and he felt the cold become as warmth to his numb body, he slipped into unconsciousness as the angels embraced him. He later awoke in this cavern, feeling sick to his stomach. There were giant otters all around him, and the bodies of his dead crew. It was here that he broke off. He does not like to discuss the nature of the next few days. The transformations are difficult at first, and growing accustomed to the idea of eating human flesh was quite difficult for a good Irish Catholic boy like he had been. It was made even worse, being the bodies of his former crew. He has spent the many decades since living in this cavern with his Kushtaka brethren. They used to spend long periods on the lake and would live among their former tribes. Many of their meals would be the elderly and infirm who were ready and willing to meet their ancestors. As the white men came, they retreated more and more into these secret caverns that can only be found by those who already know the way or are led by the moon spirit herself. They now are forced to hunt the sailors of lost vessels or fishermen who explore too far alone. As I departed their cavern, they sang to me in their own language. It was a beautiful and haunting melody that I wish I could understand. Yet, I know that it was the sad tale of a dwindling tribe who have chosen to allow themselves to walk into the twilight rather than become a monster in the new world. Philip. Level 4, Field Correspondent, Featured Creatures.